Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. Our guest tonight is Dr. Stacy Luger Breton. Stacy, how you doing? I am doing great. Well, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us tonight. We've got a number of different questions that we're going to get into in just a minute. But tell me about the new semester that just started. How are things going in our crazy COVID world for you as a professor? So students are very, very resilient and faculty are also resilient. We're learning that. Um, it is the semester's kicked off on Monday. We are live in class. We're also doing a little bit of hybrid learning. So if students need to be remote, um, we also record all of our sessions and we have live sessions in class. So they can literally be integrating and working on projects together. It was really successful last semester. I had classes where um, we were working on projects and I would have students in class, literally signed on to Blackboard, talking to students who are remote around the country. So pretty cool. Well, how many classes are you teaching this semester? For a day right now, I have five classes. Five classes. Okay. Yeah. And in the fall semester, was it five then too? Yes. And then last spring, if you can remember, was it five then too? And there's a reason I'm asking these questions. About five, yeah. Okay. So I was teaching two classes in the spring and converting to a hybrid, a virtual model was a huge challenge. What was it like for you converting five classes kind of on a dime to a virtual setting? So I've been teaching in the online format for many years at Tech, and that format has used Blackboard and Blackboard Collaborate. And we have an amazing team of instructional designers that helped us early on learn new platforms in online teaching and learning. So it was pretty easy for the most part. Well, good. And, and I genuinely, I said this at the time, and I genuinely believe this, that Indiana Tech has always been good at online, so I think it was a little bit less disruptive. Still disruptive, but a little easier than maybe institutions where people didn't have that uh, ability or they didn't have that experience. So hopefully that was true for you, at least to some extent. Absolutely. And we have a lot of support for faculty and students there, so it was great. Yeah. Well, this is one I've been looking to for a while, a number of different reasons. Number one, because you're awesome and we always have fun. Um, but number two, because you have such an interesting career path. And that's where I want to begin is hearing a little bit about what led you to your current role at Indiana Tech. Because as we were talking about before we started recording, a lot of people I know who are full-time faculty, that's what they've done for their entire career. I know folks who are adjuncts who are part-time faculty, but generally they're still working another job while teaching or they did full-time work and now they're doing, you know, they're in retirement or otherwise doing part-time teaching. But you went from being a being something other than a professor full-time to now being a full-time professor. So start at whatever the beginning is for you. How did you start down the marketing path and how did you get to where you are today? So after graduating from undergrad, I, I studied international business and I decided to move home. I went to undergrad at Ball State and decided to move back to South Bend. And in the process, I was looking at the different companies that were there, that were international, and I found a fit with international business that I'd studied and a company called Environmental Test Systems. And they were an offshoot of Miles Laboratories, and they had a really strong international presence. And so I had an opportunity there to work as a marketing assistant. And during that period of time, I was able to travel with the company 
learn about the different cultures. I spent time in Western Europe and Sao Paulo, Brazil, and that was really a cool fit. It wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't exactly the job that I had imagined for myself when I graduated. And I think one of the things that is unique about me is that I like to explore and try things. And so that gave me a chance to do that. Okay. And from there, I just kind of kept exploring. Yeah. So so you had a bachelor's in marketing from Ball State? Bachelor in international business. International business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then what happens next? So I accept the position. I work for several years at Environmental Test Systems. I'm promoted. And then I have an opportunity to work more closely with our advertising agency, which yep. is Villing and Company. Yep. And when Environmental Test Systems was going through some changes and we were acquired by a holding company, um, I just really decided to launch into a new path and begin learning more about the agency business and begin working for Villing and Company as an account executive. So tell me what that experience was like from your perspective, because I, I've been working in the agency setting for 16 years, but I'm always really interested about hearing how other people perceive it, because I'm, I'm kind of so deep into it that I forget to be objective about it. So what was your experience like? So I remember being very bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, excited to jump in and, and, and take everything by storm. And there were these amazing people they called the creatives. Mm-hmm. And so I got to know over a very short period of time that they were really the heart of the agency. Mm-hmm. They were the designers. They were those who conceptualized and the illustrators and really made the business of advertising what it was. Yep. So that came as a little bit of a shock to me because it was all business all the time, right? Yep. And then coming into an agency where there's a lot more finesse, a lot more art, a lot more understanding and relationships at a different level. It was it was a little bit of a shock, yeah. but I learned so much there. Yeah. So how long were you at Filling? I was there for a few years, just a few years. Yeah. All right. So, so then where'd you go from there? So from there, I decided to do some work with the Small Business Development Center. Yep. And of course, all of these things sound very, you know, academic. I decided to do this. I decided to do that. It's never quite that easy. It's usually there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity yeah. there. Um, I worked for the Small Business Development Center and decided to go back and earn my master's degree at Bethel College. Mm-hmm. And after I finished my master's at Bethel, I wanted to know what it would be like to teach mm-hmm. and see if I was any good at it. Probably so my early years, M- I wasn't is, as good at it. Okay. But, is that yeah. an MBA at that point? Yes. Yeah, okay. All right. So sorry, I cut you off. No, that's okay. So did some teaching and was that just adjunct and where were you teaching and what were you teaching? Yeah, I was teaching at Bethel College and adjunct okay. and, and organizational leadership. All right. Okay. So you're, you have a full-time job, mm-hmm. you're teaching. Compare and contrast those. How did you make that work and, and what did you think about teaching at the time as you started to, to dive into that? So... When I started early on teaching, it was adjunct, and um, I basically had this day job where I I worked with business owners and entrepreneurs on startup and feasibility, and then in the evenings, I would go into the classroom and work with these professionals who were creating careers and new opportunities for themselves, much in the way that entrepreneurs were in their businesses. So in that way, I saw some similarities. Um, but it was also really different. I mean, there's a whole different ecosystem in a higher ed. Mm-hmm. And so that that was that was a learning curve. Okay. So so what starts to happen where you make your next career shift? What's going through your mind at that point? So after I taught there, I saw an opportunity to teach at Ivy Tech Community College in mm-hmm. South Bend and Elkhart. I did took that opportunity. 
And shortly thereafter, as I began having more conversations with some people at Bethel College, um, there was a vice president there that said to me one day, you know, if you really want to raise your stock value, mm-hmm. you should get a doctorate. Yep. And I thought, but I don't want to be a traditional, like I don't want yeah. to give up industry and I don't want to give up all this creative yeah. side of me. Because there is a perception that if you go into a PhD program, in you're heading towards a full-time career in academics and it, it almost positions you out of the business world. At least that's my perception over the years. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want that to happen. Yeah. So I learned of this great program at Anderson University um, and they have a doctor of business administration. Yep. And it allowed me to basically earn my doctorate there, have residency seat time. It was not online. So I would go down there for you know, four or five weeks out of the year, have your intensive learning there, do your work, and then you would continue to go back and do research, and then you'd re-meet for that next, for that next intensive, for that immersion. So that was really great because it allowed me to kind of stay in the workaday world, the full-time industry job, also teach part-time, and then do my, my doctoral work as well. Okay, so from the time you started your bachelor's to finishing the, um, the doctorate, how many years are we talking about? Like, like how, how long does that take? Yeah. Um, so it took me four years to complete my undergrad. Yep. Um, between my undergraduate degree and my MBA, it was eight years. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it was 13 years. Wow. But, okay. but I wasn't, you know, I didn't start my, my doctorate until like, Yeah. Know. Some breaks in between. Yeah, there were breaks in between. It didn't literally take me 16 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it, I've always known that I was interested in learning and um so i just didn't know where that would take me and at each step of the way i have to tell you there were times when i thought like during my doctorate is this really for me is this Mm -hmm. really what i want to do yeah most of my peers were full-time in higher ed yeah and so i would come in all excited about teaching part-time and wanting to be a professor someday and also still doing all this work um so i was really different for them yeah so so when you're in that doctorate program what are you doing as far as full-time work at that point? So at that point, I had taken a position at Holy Cross College. Okay. And I was working in the development office. All right. And so doing a lot of prospect research. Got it. And, you know, one of the things I've learned in my career is that sometimes you take a sidestep mm-hmm. when it doesn't look like you're moving straight ahead, right? Mm-hmm. So. I kind of found a home at Holy Cross College in using some of the skills, both that I was learning in my doctoral work and also in industry. And so that was kind of a pivot for me where I began to say, okay, this allows me to use my skills here and also earn my doctorate. And they were really great. They were flexible. Um, But I also learned a lot about the faculty there and just the overall business um, of higher ed. Okay. So are you doing, uh, my guess is no, just because of time. Are you doing any teaching while you're doing the doctorate or are you putting that on pause? I was doing teaching. You were. So are you still teaching teaching at Ivy Tech at that point or somewhere Um, else? I was doing some teaching at Ivy Tech and also at IU South Bend. Okay. All right. So a lot going on at that point. All right. So so when was it that you kind of got the spark that this is really what I want to do? What what inspired that and, and what did that look like for you? So when I was in my teaching practicum of my doctorate, I would say that's when I knew mm-hmm. because we had to be placed in an institution yep. for a class. Um, go through the entire process, everything you learned about, you know, syllabi, rubrics, teaching, evaluation, assessment, um, looking at pedagogy. 
And that's really when I fell in love. I realized everything was kind of coming into place so that my work in marketing, working with clients and in advertising, working with clients was educating, right? Yep. And so my work with the Small Business Development Center and entrepreneurs was educating. So it just looked different, but I was kind of on a similar path the whole time. Yeah. So so then you you earn the you earn the doctorate, then what comes next at that point? So at that point, I had an opportunity to move from Holy Cross College to IU South Bend mm -hmm. for a lecture position. It yep. was a limited term. And during that year, I just explored all kinds of opportunities. Where would I want to go full time? What did I want to do? Um, and IU South Bend is an amazing institution. They're a research institution. They yep. have amazing teachers. But I knew that I wasn't a researcher per se, yep. right? So obviously, my DBA had a dissertation. I had a yep. research component but I really wanted to teach. And so my goal was to find some place that was a teaching institution. Okay. And that's how I came across Indiana Tech. All right, so how long have you been at Indiana Tech now? Almost nine years. Nine years, okay. All right, um, I'm gonna back up for just a second. What was it like the first time or, or some of those early times when you remember first being in the classroom? And I, I asked that sort of selfishly out of curiosity because I, I've only ever been an adjunct, but I remember standing in an Indiana Tech classroom, I think it was 2004, in front of students, just terrified. Just with the worst case of imposter syndrome, I don't know why I'm here, I don't know what I'm doing, and they're all gonna know it. Did you have any of that, or were you pretty confident out of the gate? Um, I had all of that, and I had some <laughs> confidence that I probably shouldn't have had at the yeah, time, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely felt that imposter syndrome early on. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, you know, when you first walk in the classroom, you think they expect me to know everything. Yeah. Yeah. And really, they don't expect you to know everything. They expect yeah. you to try everything. Yeah. They expect you to try to understand what their days are like and yeah. to try to find a way so that they're excited about marketing. And yeah. it's not just another lecture class, right? Yeah. Um, so I quickly started developing some skills and figuring out how do we engage these students in a different way? Because lecture's not gonna do it. Yep. Um, and with social media being what it is, our attention span is so much, yep. I don't know that it's so much shorter, it's just that we have the ability to consume things and yeah. bites, right? Yeah. So I quickly began working with project-based learning. Yeah. Now yeah. I'd done some project-based learning. When I worked for the Small Business Development Center, we had a program, um, the Colleg Collegiate Management Assistant Program, and I worked with Notre Dame and IU South Bend to get entrepreneurs in the classroom yep. so that these students could work on their projects. So I just kind of pulled from those experiences and said, how do I make this work? Yeah. And started accepting projects from the community and that's kind of how I found my groove in the classroom. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's really, uh, I love that story because I think it's, if people are being honest, it's what a lot of people experience is you try stuff, you, fi you figure out what doesn't work. I mean, when I started teaching because of that sort of imposter syndrome, I remember I used to, I used to stand in front of the class and say, okay, I can't let them know that all that information is out there and they could go around me and get it. And now I start my first class by saying, it's all out there and you could get it. You don't really need me, but here's what I'm going to do and kind of take the curtain back because that's one of the changes with, you know, our interconnectivity and, and everything that's available on the internet is, you know, you're only going to bring a perspective to it. You're not going to bring all the knowledge they could get on their own. You're going to synthesize it for them. Absolutely. And I think... Um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting that we live in a world where there's so much information out there. But the thing about this is, is that students want to make mistakes in the classroom yeah. because that's what we're there for. Yeah. We make mistakes all the time. Sure. I mean, 
every, you know, path to the next career or opportunity had mistakes along the way or things I would try that they didn't work out. Yeah. It sounds very simple now, but it was really messy. Yeah. And I feel like it's my responsibility to kind of create a, a happy little mess in the classroom where they can try things, where yeah. they can learn about analytics and they can learn about marketing plans and they can do those things and they can have a client come in and say, tell me why you think that, where they're kind of just a little bit yeah. anxious, but then they answer the question and they, they find themselves, right? So yeah. I definitely agree with your approach in the classroom. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> and it's a safe place to do that experimentation, uh, unlike the real world, which can be an unsafe place sometimes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so so talk to me a little bit about your evolution at Indiana Tech, because when, when people hear that you're a professor, and if they understand you know, the kind of institution that Indiana Tech is, they're probably thinking, okay, she's in the classroom 90% of the time and is answering student questions and grading 10% of the time, but there's more to it than that. You're doing curriculum development, you're doing you know, a little bit of you know, learning on your own. What is the, how, is it, how have things evolved over those nine years and, and what does your role look like today? One of the things I really like about Indiana Tech is that they let you try things, mm -hmm. to be good at things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say I'll describe my last semester. So my last semester pre-COVID, yeah. <laughs> of course, COVID hit right in the middle, sure. um, was uh, you know a mix of developing new courses, yep. working with instructional designers, setting learning objectives, pulling all open access content out there, right? So not that textbooks are bad, they're amazing, yeah. um, but I try to integrate as much as I can from open access. And tech is really about relevancy and currency. So the more I could do that in courses, the better I am, the better the students are. And then I have class time, right? So I'll be teaching, you know, from, I'll have maybe three classes, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, so that's three hours. Yep. Those three hours times three, so nine hours. Um, and then you have Tuesday, Thursdays, you know, so, so it, I could be in the classroom, you know, 13 hours, 12, 13 hours a week. And then there's advising. So yeah. we do a lot of advising. We have an advising staff, but it's called the Office of Student Success for first and second year. And they also work with students all years, yep. even grad students. So yep. we work with that Office of Student Success to understand best practices, to make student referrals, to make sure our students aren't lost. And that means not only academically, but that means socially, um, dealing with a lot of mental health issues yep. that everyone's dealing with with COVID. So there's that component as well. And then there's professional development where Last semester was great because there was a lot of professional development that was virtual. Yeah. So going out and whether it's, you know, Pedagogicon and finding different conferences and, and participating in that. And then there's bringing that back into the classroom and making sure your students are relevant and bringing entrepreneurs into the virtual classroom. So it's a lot more than just, you know, kind of the sage on the stage, what they used to call it, right? Yeah. We're actually yeah. not in the state. We're not on the stage. We're actually in the play with all the students trying to figure out who's in the right costume, what time they're supposed to be out there there if they have to leave if they have to go to athletics you know what all of that is and so that's you have to really think on your feet fast yeah and, and when you're doing project-based learning you know and I, I know this because you and I've talked about in the past is you're bringing in not just guest speakers but you're bringing in projects what are some examples of some of the things you bring into the classroom to try to make it more relevant and, and more real for students Yes. So I'm going to go ahead and use their names, even though I didn't ask permission. Okay. Um, so John from Household 5 has mm -hmm. started an amazing little um, 
it's really it started as a soap business. He's a, he's a veteran. He is just really a champion for students and young entrepreneurs. So we've worked with him over several semesters to develop marketing plans. Um, the thing I like about him that is remarkable is that he lets students try to find their way. He'll say, "Here's like a buffet of my." my opportunities or issues I'm having, where do you wanna start? And so he allows the students in to see what it's like to run that business and also to work on different projects. So they've done business growth plans, um, they've done marketing plans. <coughs> We've also worked with the Air National Guard, which has been an amazing partner for us over several years and working on marketing plans with them and understanding the importance of operations in mm -hmm. marketing, which yeah. is pretty critical. Yeah. So we've had nonprofits and for-profits but the really sweet spot is having student entrepreneurs. And I was able, and really fortunate, last semester to have two student entrepreneurs in my classes. And I teach entrepreneurship as well as marketing. Okay. And I still have my own consulting business yep. in the summer. So um, I try to stay on pace with the students and give them opportunities. But when they come to the classroom and they say, I want to start this business, that's the coolest project ever. And then students can come around them. So in my marketing research class last spring, we had two student entrepreneurs. They both came with some questions like, I need to know this information. Where do I find this? Yep. How do I do this? And so the students in those classes said, let's work on those projects. Yeah. So instead of working on a project where they're learning terminology and taking tests and all this, they were actually helping to build out some of those ideas. And one of the entrepreneurs was starting um, a gaming business. I'll just call it that generally. Yeah. Sure. And so they were in the classroom and testing that and providing ideas and suggestions. And so it was just really amazing to see how students come around each other and support those businesses. And so those have been some of the coolest projects. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I think is really critical um, is, is learning by doing. And it's something that maybe it's obvious to others, but it took me a while to realize that that's really the way it gets done best. And Today, it's easier than ever to incorporate some of that stuff in the classroom because the tools are out there. Many of them are free or low cost, and you can actually have people try stuff and, and get the experience of having done it, not just read about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's switch gears for a second, and I want to hear how you define this entity known as Indiana Tech, and I'll disclaim that... Earlier in the show, we had Brian Englehart on. So Brian's job is kind of telling the Indiana Tech story, and he did a great job of doing that from sort of the institutional perspective. But how do you describe Indiana Tech from the position of faculty? What's the institution like? What is the rest of the faculty like? What are students like? What's your definition of Indiana Tech? So when you step on campus, the first thing you'll notice is that the students are really friendly and the faculty are really friendly. Mm -hmm. And we're very collegial. We work together. We have cross-functional projects. Um, we know each other by name. It's not like a traditional state school, and I mean no disrespect in that. But when you go to a traditional state school, you have faculty who are researchers. You have all of these, these components going on. And so you'll go to a class, and then you'll go back to this. At Tech, everything is happening all at once, like all real time. So there's athletics always going on, there's student activities always going on, there's classes always going on. And so it's literally this ecosystem for um, social integration and education and community in a way that a lot of universities are, are it's just different than a lot of universities, mm -hmm. let's just say that. Yeah. We are a very strong community, and faculty reach out to one another when we have questions, when we want to work on projects, we are champions for each other. And I would say that the way I would distinguish Indiana Tech from other institutions is that we really are 
a really strong community of mm -hmm. people that when a student is hurting, when a faculty member is hurting, when there's an opportunity, we champion each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I've noticed over the years, and I don't know if it's the size of the institution, but there's a, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of colleges. And one of the distinctions I make is that it's almost like there aren't departments that you, you know, might know someone in engineering as well as the person sitting in the next desk knows that person. It's, it's very integrated in that way where it's small enough for everybody kind of knows who's who and what the strengths are of the different faculty. And I think that's true of staff. And I think it's even true to some extent of students, even though they come and go a little more quickly. Yeah. And I would say, um, everyone is so connected. So um, I recently worked on a workshop for one of our corporate partners and we had someone from the Vice President for Academic Affairs Office that was helping with the workshop. We had another faculty member. We had um, someone from admissions that was really instrumental in, in making that partnership happen. So it's been pretty phenomenal to see how people can cross. And I think one of the things that pulled us all together was when Dr. Einolf started Indiana Tech, he started with a strategic plan mm -hmm. and he engaged people from a number of areas, which is how I met some of my closest friends. Yeah. And so we began to get to know each other and have ideas together. And that really started a process that I believe even Dr. Snyder had, you know, kind of prepared us for even yeah. before he left. Yeah. So that sense of community was created early on. And I think that that's just continued. Yeah. So, so I'm going to put you on the spot with a, with a two-part question. You know, one of the things that I always love hearing about is the experience of working with students. I'd like you to tell us a little bit, what's the best thing about working with students and what's the biggest challenge from your perspective? So I think the best thing about working with students is you realize that these individuals have so much potential. And when you see them coming into their own in the classroom and they're asking questions and they're talking about things in the hallways and you're reading about them, right, on social media and the great things that they're doing, those experiences, just knowing that you were there to kind of help them at some point, it's all their own experience, but that we've been able to share in some of that, that's the coolest thing ever yeah. because we haven't made them who they are. They've always been who they are and we just kind of help them, you know, explore that. Yeah. So what's the biggest challenge from your perspective? So I think the biggest challenge is always keeping up with them mm -hmm. because there is so much change in the world. And so one of the biggest challenges is for me being comfortable with the uncomfortable, being comfortable that there is no way I'm going to keep up with them 100% of the time, know everything that they know, keep yeah. up with all of the media. Like that's just impossible, right? So being comfortable in the classroom and inviting in all kinds of experiences yeah. that maybe we're not prepared for. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I've always said, you know, I do some training on public speaking and presentations and I've told people that the, the biggest challenge I've ever had as a presenter is teaching in the classroom because it's not that students aren't polite, they are, but they will push you. They will push you in terms of their attention span. They will push you in terms of if you say something they don't agree with, they'll speak up. They have a different perspective, which is is both great and really challenging, but it prepares you really well to be in front of almost any other audience because in comparison, most other audiences are pretty easy at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm much more prepared to deal with uncertainty in any kind of audience than I was like <laughs> nine years ago, per se. Yeah, because yeah. they will say the darndest things, yeah, right? For and, sure. and then you'll think, okay, but if I was a student, would I have said that? I would never have said that. But then yeah. we didn't necessarily have these kind of environments that are we're creating right now for our students that yeah. 
hey, it's okay to say that. They need to ask those kind of questions. And they're not often challenging us so much as it is they're challenging their knowledge. Yeah. And it helps us grow too. So yeah, they do. Yeah. And there's been times when I'm like, wow, I'm going to have to step up my game on that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're they're pretty remarkable. Yeah. So so let's talk a little bit. One of the things I ask people to share is, is what big projects they're working on. And certainly I want to hear about anything you're doing outside of the, you know, teaching outside of the classroom that's that's on your mind. But I also hear like to hear a little bit about the five classes you're teaching. What are they and and what do those classes look like today? So you can talk about stuff outside of the classroom or you can start with your classes wherever you want to go from there. Okay, let's talk about the classes first, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of my classes is Exploring Entrepreneurship. It is the first in a series of um, courses in the Entrepreneurial Studies concentration at Tech. And during that class, students are exploring everything from what a business model canvas is, how to go through ideation, looking at feasibility, and so on. So that's kind of a, a lab, just an ecosystem where they're learning about everything to deal with entrepreneurship. Yep. So startup, growth, all of that. The next class I'm also teaching is evaluating startup potential. And my goal for that class is to get those students to evaluate as many startups as possible. Whether it's in the community, it's on Kickstarter, it's with their own students. All of those things are really important so that they can address all of those concerns about a business. And what I love about that course is that really prepares them to evaluate businesses that are not necessarily startup or entrepreneurial. They start to ask really great questions. Mm -hmm. So we have projects in each of those courses. And then I'm also teaching a venture lab, which is the capstone for the entrepreneurial studies concentration. And so in that class, we have um, five students and all very personalized, you know, ideas about their businesses that they want to start or that maybe they are not ready to start, but they want to learn, like, how do we do this? Yeah. How does a business work? And so we are exploring nonprofits and for-profits. We're exploring student startups in that, and we're running them through everything from, okay, we're going to lead idea generation for a startup, or we're going to facilitate some idea exploration for this business that's stuck. Mm-hmm. So they actually kind of begin to be not the professor necessarily, but the facilitator, so that they can do that. The other classes I'm teaching are marketing-based, so I'm teaching advertising class, which thank you for agreeing to be part of that class this semester. (laughs) Um, So teaching advertising, and there's a cool project in there that's kind of outside of the classroom too that I can integrate. We have an amazing diversity and inclusion staff at Indiana Tech, Mm -hmm. and Lisa Gavan and her team are working with students all the time to help them explore what diversity means, what inclusion means, and what their self-identity means and how they express themselves. So we were fortunate to have her come into my marketing research class last session, last semester, and a lot of the students started asking questions like, how do we we communicate this to our peers? How do we create these safe spaces and these really cool spaces on campus where people can explore who they are Mm -hmm. and their self-identity with respect to themselves and others on our campus? And how do we talk about the tough questions that we're afraid to talk about outside of the classroom. So they actually develop a list of ideas that we are taking now into my advertising class, and we're going to explore those with Lisa Gavan and her team and start to talk about how do we communicate this better. Yeah, that's that's a really great facet of that topic. One of the things that I'm, I'm seeing and have been seeing for a while is, and maybe this is optimism, but a move towards more authenticity where... You know, young people today especially have really good BS meters. And if there's marketing that looks fake, they're going to know it in a second. And if they can't see themselves, the, the real authentic self, not a not a overly polished version of themselves, if they can't see themselves in that 
message, they're going to go somewhere else. And really encouraging brands to be more authentic, to make sure that, you know, it's not overly polished and that they're inclusive to the extent it's reflective of their audience, I think is really, really critically important. And if it's off by, you know, one, you know, if it's off at all, the audience is going to pick up on that today. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So the, another marketing class. You yes. Too? And yeah. international marketing. Okay. We'll be teaching this semester as well. So we're going to explore different cultures and what that means for us as marketers. And, you know, it used to be the international marketing was external to the U.S., right? But now we have such an amazing community. We're beginning to recognize the differences and appreciate those. So it's very close to home. Yeah. So we'll have some great projects in there. And back to your roots with that class. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. So what are you working on outside of the classroom that's, that's on your mind these days? So what I want to explore is how marketing changes our identities mm -hmm. and not just how we express what we want to believe about our identities, but how it truly changes the way that we understand ourselves and expectations of ourselves, because I think that our students are struggling with that. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean Indiana Tech students, I mean students as a whole. We are working in marketing very hard to make sure they understand the marketing concept and that they understand branding and identity, and yet they struggle with those with their own issues in that area. And I yeah. think it's really important for marketers to begin to explore that, what that means. What does it mean when people are posting on social media great things about you? How does that make you feel as a champion for others? And what is the impact that can positively influence others? So those are some of the things I really want to explore outside of the classroom and yeah. learn more about student experiences. So this is this is a can of worms that we probably can't get into as deeply as we'd like. But, but what do you think is driving that? Because, you know, as, as a parent of a college student and as someone who has a real strong affinity for the generation that's kind of emerging right now, there's a ton of anxiety and, and identity issues out there. What do you think's driving that? Is it the media environment? Is it, you know, technology? Is it something in the water? What's, what's going on? So I'll compare it to entrepreneurs. Really amazing serial entrepreneurs cannot stand to miss any opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I see that in the classroom with mm -hmm. students who are always engaged in media and social yeah. media. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that it's that technology is has done this or created this necessarily. Is I think that within ourselves as Americans, I think that we always want to be opportunist mm -hmm. and to pursue the next thing. And there's so much of our culture that's constantly emphasizing the ability to do that, which I think is remarkable. Yeah. On the flip side, I think that an overwhelming sense of opportunity without an appropriate response to that and understanding that there's timing mm -hmm. and that there's learning and other things can create this need to constantly feel like you're doing what you need to do at that moment. Yeah. I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to not be connected. And it's one thing for us being you know, middle-aged to say, you know, we had a life without social media, right? Yeah. And social media is super important and yeah. none of us could live without it, let's be honest. But the reality is that you know, we know how to address opportunities. We can look at an opportunity and say, that is so cool, but that's not for me or I think I need to put that off for just a bit. We have a sense yeah. of timing. Mm -hmm. Young people have not learned that sense of timing except from watching us. And now in our later part of our lives, our timing is set by um, so much of you know busyness, right? Yeah. So I think trying to address opportunities and understand the difference between opportunities and busyness mm -hmm. and have a healthy perspective for that in a world where everything is open to them, I think that's a challenge. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's fascinating stuff. So I, I want to go into now 
Um, the three quick hit questions that I ask, I'm going to change one up kind of on the fly. But the, the first question is one that I'm sure you deal with all the time because you work with students, you're working with entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs. What's your one best piece of career advice? You know, you've had a career that's changed. The path has been, you know, more winding than, than a straight path. What do you tell students or anyone else for that matter when they say, how do I position myself for success in my career? So I think the thing I would tell anyone, I just told a student this today, is just try things. Mm -hmm. Try things early and often. Don't wait to try things until it's the perfect moment. Um, and don't think of yourself as positioning yourself so much for success. We always say that we want them to be positioned yep. for success. That's what we say. But I think many times to young people, they think, okay, I don't want to make a mistake, mm -hmm. right? And so we don't want a generation of amazing young entrepreneurs afraid to make mistakes mm -hmm. because they didn't get the internship or they didn't have this opportunity or because the pandemic hit. Yeah. So I think letting young people know that it's okay to make mistakes that that's how we got to different places yeah. sometimes they were great mistakes and sometimes it was like yeah i don't really want to do that again yeah. so try those things and put yourself in a position where you're around strong people to support you so that when you do make mistakes or you try something and it wasn't great you know fail fast and, and recover quickly yep. and that's easy to say when we're in a, a positive economic environment you know right now it's a little bit more challenging so mistakes might have stronger consequences economically, yeah. but I think still providing that support network, which is what we try to do in the classroom, to let those students know, let's try it in the classroom, let's make some mistakes, let's get you out in front of people, let's try those things. I think that push is gonna be super important, especially with some of the time that they've taken off from the face-to-face -face learning environment. Yeah, now this is a little bit of a sidebar, but the company Spanx, mm -hmm. um, I forget the founder's name, but there was a, I don't know if it's how I made this or one of those podcasts, what she talked about, one of the biggest skills she ever learned was failure and resilience. Um, that when her family, when they would sit down for dinner, their dad would ask, what did you fail at today? Was the question around the dinner table. And that taught her to be okay with rejection when she was selling fax machines door to door, which made her resilient when people turned down her idea, which ultimately led to her, you know, founding a multi-million dollar company. So yeah. really good advice and something I think people really need to hear. So that's, that's great. Um, second question, you know, people probably ask you all the time, tell me about this thing called Indiana Tech. Concisely, how do you, how do you define Indiana Tech? I define Indiana Tech as a community of professional instructors, professional practitioners who are out in our communities, serving our communities, and they're also serving our students. Every one of our faculty members is connected through some kind of community organization. They are practitioners in their field. They are scholars. So even though I say it's not a research institution, there's still research being conducted. And they are scholars, and they care deeply about their fields. And so while I think in higher ed, many times we hear faculty referred to as subject matter experts, yeah. that makes us sound kind of like uh, we're really good at this thing, right? We have yeah. all the knowledge. I think. Every single one of us would say that we're constantly exploring new ways to work with our students. And so tech is a really cool place to make a home, to try things, to build an education, to build a career, and to build a network. And so it's not just education. Yeah. All right. Very well said. Okay. This is the one where I'm going to mix things up a little bit because typically I ask people for good advice about resilience and how do you get through a challenging time. But I, I, I want to talk about something else with you because I think there's a place where you can 
to our to our three listeners out there. You can get some help or maybe um, help some other people. One of the things I think Indiana Tech does especially well, and I'll disclaim I'm an Indiana Tech fan. I, you know, I'm the alumni rep to the Board of Trustees. I, I'm alum. I'm all these other things. But I think genuinely Indiana Tech is great at bridging the gap between the business world and the academic world. So if somebody wanted to get involved to help you as a collaborator in one of your classes, or if they wanted to learn from you, what are some opportunities to do that and, and how might people go about that? So I would love to have as many people you know, contacting me as possible. Um, I would love to have them either in the classroom face-to-face or virtually talking to students, sharing their experiences. I think one of the things that our students learn from is the shared experience. They love stories. Mm-hmm. So as many people that have as many stories as possible about their successes and failures would be great. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give hats off to Leslie Hill because I have yeah. her come in regularly. Yep. She's also great. So coming in, um, she'll she'll say to me, do, what do you want me to talk about? Or do you have something you want me to lead the class in? Or, yeah. you know, anytime you're willing to come in to lead a class, to talk to students, or even just be available for Q&A, I mean, that's a really cool thing for our students to experience. All right. So what's the best way for someone to get a hold of you if they want to take advantage of that or talk to you about doing that? They can contact me at Indiana Tech. You can go to our website and search for faculty. Um, or I guess I can give my email as well. It's S R L U G A R B R E T T I N at indianatech.edu. Um, you can also reach me through Anthony. He can always connect you or by LinkedIn. Um, our students would love to just sit down with you and talk to you. If you have projects, if you have things in your business that you would like to have solved, or just, you know, you just want someone to throw out some ideas to, students love that. They love to collaborate. And I love to collaborate on projects as well. So any of those things would be great. Excellent. And I encourage people to take advantage of that because I've had really great experiences working with students, working with the faculty at Indiana Tech on problem solving and occasionally trying to be a resource to help make their classes a little bit more interesting or at least bring a little more variety to the classroom. All right. So anything else on your mind? Anything else you want to talk about? We covered a lot of ground. I think it's really good. I think um, I would also like to just do a shout out for students in general, university students. And, you know, if any professionals have an extra hour a week or they have some time to share knowledge with a student, um, you know, consider thinking about going back to your alma mater or um, talking to some faculty in the community and, and finding out how you can help. A lot of students are just wanting someone to kind of tell them they're okay because they are okay. And none of us went through university during a pandemic, right? I mean, I have no idea what that's like. Um, So I think if you have time and if you have, you know, the bandwidth, the energy, think about, you know, kind of um, considering adopting a student, I guess I would call it, you know, is there a student that you could spend a little time with and share some energy and experience with? I think those things are really important. And whether it's, you know, at Indiana Tech or at your own university, I think the opportunities are there. And don't be afraid to, you know, engage because maybe you don't have all the right answers or you don't have all the time in the world. Like even just being able to provide an email so a student can reach out to you, yeah. that's really cool. And then they have someone that they can say, hey, 
I have someone in my network and this person can answer this question for me. Yeah. We had to go the hard way with networking and, you know, kind of door to door and meeting to meeting. Yeah. And yeah. yes, there are all these opportunities on social media and LinkedIn now, but the personal touch is really, really appreciated. So, you know, contact your career center. We have an amazing career center at Indiana Tech. Contact the career center, reach out, ask if there are any students that, you know, you could help with job shadowing or maybe an internship or even just spending some time yeah. at the career center. That can pay off. Yeah, and I would second that very strongly. It's been one of the most fulfilling things I've had the opportunity to do is to, as you suggested, play a little role in helping students figure out their path. And for students, I'd really encourage you to just ask. You, you never know. Sometimes the answer is going to be no, but if you never ask, the answer is always no. So pick up the phone, send someone an email, and I think you'll be surprised at how generous people can be with their time and, and giving you a little bit of perspective. Yeah. Yeah? Well, speaking of being generous with their time, as someone who has probably grading to do and classes to teach tomorrow, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Stacy. thank you so much. Thank you. And everyone, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope to see you then.